personal song, isn't it? I love the songs that would sound like my prayers. You know what I mean? I would sing them in, in, in worship. I'd sing them in praise. And I'd sing them in celebration. But I would also uh, speak them when my nose is in the carpet. Praying to God. I appreciated when Ben was saying, you may make that your prayer. Sing this to him today. There's something in the scripture and, and, and in the Christian faith, in the walk of the Christ-like people, that is you, called intercession. You ever heard of that term? And intercession is really a cool thing because it's simply saying that God interceded for us. He went to the cross on our behalf in the same way as Christ-like individuals. I can bridge the gap for somebody else. Man, this might make some of you guys cry or some of you laugh or some of you make, make you think of somebody you haven't thought of in a long time and all of that is good. My question to you is this. Who would you want to sing this song more than anybody? Who isn't here today that you would just be so overjoyed if they would say, man, you are my king to the Lord? Who, who do you want to intercede for today? Um, I'm really trying to trust the Lord here. You know, I'm, th I'm thinking about Dylan. You know what I mean? There's just, there's just, there's, I'm so happy you are here, but there are people that aren't here. You know what? That's still got to bother us a little bit. Not bother us where we get discouraged or bother us when we stop or bother us where we think, well, I'm just not going to think about them anymore. It needs to bother us to the point where we go to the Lord on their behalf. We hold, like I was saying, we're sharing with someone this morning, we hold the promises of God in our hand and we will not be denied. And we're going to stand in this gap for whoever that person is in your life. And we're just going to sing this one more time as a prayer to the Lord on behalf of that person. Does that make sense? Listen, church, this will help. This makes the Lord known about your heart aligning with His heart. Can we just sing this? Whoever that person is, um, just declare this on their behalf. Here we go. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, yeah, you know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all that I do. I honor you, Jesus. You are my King. Lord, you're the king of the universe. You are the ultimate authority. There is none higher or greater than you. And we pray this morning, Lord, that that truth not only be true independent of us, but Lord, that it would be true with us. We pray for those that are on the hearts and minds of the people in this room. Lord, that that truth would become their truth. That they would align themselves with you and submit themselves to you. We're, we're emotional about some of these things or we feel close to these things, but Lord, we trust you with these things. We know, God, we are not in control and you are. We trust in you, Lord. We hold your promises in our hands. And we stand in the gap for those who aren't believing in them right now. We pray and believe these things because of your Son and his valiant work on the cross, Lord. We declare that that was a true and real thing that did what it said it was going to do. We believe in it. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Hallelujah. Very good. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for coming today. My name is Beck. You know, can I, I'm going to share something that's sort of funny, but also scary. I'm a big dude, and this aisle isn't that big. And so when I pray and I close my eyes, I tend to get animated. And I have this fear of like, poof, 
you know, <laughs> just like, did he get baptized? No, he got head slapped. Uh, so if you're in the, maybe I'm thinking, I need to talk to Alex. Like, that's why only the brave sit in the first couple rows. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, Aaron's a firefighter. He is a brave dude. And Sarah's married to him, so she may be even braver. Really, thank you guys again for coming today. Uh, Alex is on vacation. And so we've spent the last three weeks continuing in the book of Romans. And you all have been uh, stuck with me. I hope that's okay with you for just a few more weeks. But while he is away, I really would like you to continue to pray for our pastor. I've said this before. Uh, man, when, when he's not with you, he's thinking about you. Uh, I, I, I say this in, in humility. There's no square family member in here. I, I, I feel like I probably know Alex on a deeper level than most people. Um, and there is a, a well in his heart that runs deep for you all. And he uh, sometimes has trouble separating that for his own life. And uh, so we just pray that he gets his rest, um, that he gets rejuvenated by the Lord, not only physically but mentally and spiritually, so that when he comes back, he can hit the ground running in service for, for the Lord and the sheep that he has put in his, his uh, dominion. Okay. Today's message is called, Till Death Do Us Part. Studying chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Paul is an analogy guy. He's the author of the book of Romans. And uh, through 6 and 7, he kind of strings three different analogies together to help the reader, you and I, and the church in Rome understand the concepts he's trying to display to this church. And in essence, what he's talking to the church about is this. What is the Christian life like? How does the Christian life work? And what was it like before? Salvation, sanctification, or justification, sanctification, and ultimately glorification. Paul is writing an essay to you and I to describe what the life in Christ as a believer is and how on earth we got there. He uses analogies to help that. In this set of scripture, he's going to use a wedding, or marriage, more specifically, as an analogy. In my time as a, as a minister and, and, and pastor in the area, uh, I've had the opportunity to do a few weddings. They've been fun. But I've learned something over the years. I, I would much rather do, you're going to think I'm weird, but, well, I am. I would rather do a funeral than a wedding. Because you do a wedding... And here's what happens. People in the crowd are like, you work on the sermon, you prep it, you get the bride and the groom ready, you tell the photographer to like stay away, you do all the things that are needed. And then you get there and you're all nervous and you stand on the front and you, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today and everybody is saying, wah, 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 did I order the chicken or the beef? <laughs> I can't remember which box I checked. Let's get to the reception. Now, a funeral... If, if heaven forbid somebody dies in a tragic way, people are like, whoa. Because there's no other spectacle. They, it, all of a sudden, the punch doesn't matter. Let's get, let's get to the understanding of why this is. Now, when you're preparing a sermon, there's all these sayings that you hear. Mostly, I would think that people don't listen to the, to the wedding sermon because they know what's going to be said. To death do you part, sickness and health, I do. I've never heard an I don't. I thought it was going to happen once. That would have been, been no good. I had a, a bridesmaid go down once. That, we just kept it rolling because <laughs> I didn't know really what else to do. <laughs> the wedding sings are there for a reason. And if you, if you listen closely at weddings or at this service today, I believe that you will find the importance of them. Chapter 7 has something to say about these statements made at a wedding, like, till death do us part. But to really grasp 
chapter 7 and its introduction from Paul, we have to kind of do a quick review of, of chapter 6. We can go to the next slide here. And this will just take a second. I want you in your minds to separate the idea that there's a chapter 6 and then there's a chapter 7. Newsflash, when Paul wrote the letter, there was, there was no chapters or headings. We broke it up when we translated the Bible so that we could reference it quicker. But often, in our own mind, when we see a break in the chapter, like we're reading a book, we think, well, that was the end of one thought, and here is the beginning of another. Chapter 6 and 7 are an extension of each other. And so we really need to understand or, or, or refresh ourselves on what chapter 6 was about in order to push to chapter 7. Like I said, Paul is not afraid to use an analogy. And in chapter 6, he uses two major analogies. In the beginning of chapter 6, he talks about life and death in Christ, making statements like we were buried with Christ. We were resurrected with him in newness of life. It says this, um, in chapter 6, verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with him through the baptism into death, so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. He uses the concept of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, paralleling our own death to sin, burial, and resurrection in newness of life, in under control of a new Spirit. Then he carries on into a new analogy in chapter 6. We talked about this for the last few weeks about slaves and masters, saying that we are free from the old slave and we have been purchased by Christ. He paid a price. You guys need to know that. It was expensive for what he got. He paid a price for us and we are now doulos, which means slaves to him. We talked about extensively about the concept that slave in the, the way we think about it today isn't the slave he was, he was talking about. Chapter 7 carries Paul's theme of analogies, this time using the analogy of marriage. He does this to demonstrate, you need to listen to this, the law's failure to perform righteousness and sanctification in the flesh. Suffice it to say, there were many Jews in the Roman church who understood the law. While Paul is writing out these analogies of life and death, of being slaves to new masters, the Jew would be thinking, the, the knower of the law would be thinking, are you saying to me that the law is evil? Because this is something I've been banking on for generations. <laughs> Paul is, is, is leading into this statement. He's addressing it head on by saying, no, the law is not evil. It just couldn't accomplish what Jesus did. We need to get that. There's a lot of Christians, New Testament Christians today that I see on one or the other side of the fence. They say, I'm a Christian, but the best way to live is just by obe obeying the law. We have to work really hard to do what the law says. Ten commandments and so forth. Mosaic law is the term. There's the other side of the fence that would say, well, this is a New Testament. The law is dead. It's useless. Both are wrong. Theologically, both are wrong. We are to fulfill the law by our faith in Christ alone, who does this work in and through us. He's really good at being perfect. Your rap sheet isn't so good. Mine either. We are not to say that the law is dead, for Christ came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. So it's a thin line we walk on, and the only way to balance is by faith. And Paul uses this marriage example to explain that further. Let's go ahead and read the scriptures for today. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Romans chapter 7. We'll start in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, get one. If you don't, can't get one, I'll give you one. Uh, steal one. I said it from the church. Go ahead. We'll replace it. Uh, if you don't have anything with you, you can certainly look up at the screen. I'm going to move on before I get in trouble. Verse 1, do you not know, brethren, this is Paul speaking, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Verse 2, for the married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. Verse 3, so then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another, another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress. 
though she is joined to another man. Verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may we might bear fruit for God. I love that. Verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death and six. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Before we go any further, I want to I want to talk about the wedding recipe. I'm going to talk about weddings for just a, a second longer here, and then we'll we'll actually do some uh, exposition here. You know, when I when when I talk about weddings, when I do a premarital, I talk about the wedding recipe. What is needed for a marriage? And women will say, well, we need matching bridesmaid dresses, and we need a killer DJ, and uh, we need that dance floor they can put anywhere I want, and oh yeah, we, we should probably take communion as like this like secondary thing. The truth is, according to the Mosaic Law, according to the scripture, you need to know this, God designed marriage. Did you know that? That he is the only one that can, no judicial piece of paper, no pastor, no judge can marry a person. God is the only one that can do that. And there are three essential ingredients needed for the proper recipe of marriage. Now you need to know this. When you don't have all three, you don't have a marriage at all. The first ingredient is a man. The second ingredient is a woman. And the third ingredient is the law of marriage. When those three things are put together, you have a marriage according to God. I did a wedding recently. Uh, I told my wife, no offense to our own wedding, but this is the best wedding I've ever done in my life. She looked at me like, don't ever say that again, but tell me more. <laughs> Two young people, uh, you were there. Caleb was there, uh, that I've known for a long time, led one of them to the Lord years ago, and they've been dating for a while, high school sweethearts. They're young. They're like, I don't know, 11. Now, how old are they, really? 20? 21, 21 and 19. Typically, when a 21-year-old and a 19-year-old say, we want to get married, I say, I'm going to pray about that, and if I get a no, come back to me in five years, because I'm not going to do this like every six months until I cave in. But they had this, this depth to them, this relationship about them. They had no money. They had no really understanding of what this was going to be like in the future, but they just knew this. He was heading off to the Air Force, and so I agreed to do the, uh, the wedding if, if I could do the premarital. I learned so much about these two during the premarital, and the wedding that we went to was the, was the best. No bridesmaids, no groomsmen, family only. The venue, like a, a, a piece of the river on the side of the road. And it was so wonderful that when you stripped all the glitz and the glam and the necessary things for the American wedding, you know what happened? It was still cool. It was still purposeful. We gathered the family around them. They laid hands on this couple, and then they, they prayed for them. It was an amazing thing. When we took all that we thought we needed to add to God's idea of matrimony, when we took it away, it was still wonderful because God was at the center of it overseeing it, the law of marriage. Not the, a law like the judicial system you and I live in, but the law that God oversees, that he brings two bodies together. You don't have two or one spirit. That is, a, that is a fallacy in marriage today. You have two spirits. You are your own people, but God has brought you together in one, the word is sarks, one flesh. It's an amazing thing under the law of marriage. So what I want to do is take, the, take that understanding of the recipe of marriage, and I want to go back through the scriptures and see if this analogy would make more sense to us. It's important to remember when you study the word to have content and context. Don't think about the scripture from the lens that you look through. It's a, it's a big mistake that we make. Our understanding of weddings today is different than their understanding of weddings when it was written. 
Does that make sense? That will help you understand what the, the author, the writer, who is blessed by the Holy Spirit to have pinned these words, what he is trying to communicate to us through the Spirit. When we look at it through our own lives, we put a filter on what God's trying to communicate, and we only receive what we think we want. And we remain immature. When you study the Word, it's, not, it's, only, it's also important to rely on the Word and to trust the Word and to, and to read the Word. But study it. Research it. Learn about the history, the time, the verses around it so that we can gather a proper understanding of the Scripture. Okay. Uh, verse 1. Let's go back up to it again. He opens with a question. Do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? This is an important concept. We're going to sidestep for just a second here. Do you not know, brethren? Uh, Paul is, is, is treading lightly. You can really see his heart for these people. He has every right to hammer them. <laughs> because of the lack of their faith. But instead, he proposes a question to the brethren, which is the, the believer, the, the Jewish believer in the church at the time. Remember, this, this church had Jews within it that were now believing in Christ and struggling. What would their downfall be? The law. It would trip them up, falling back into their own ways. An addict's failure in faith would be returning to an addiction. A Jew's failure in faith would be returning to a life of faithlessness. Does that make sense? It's all the same in one way or the other. He says, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. Who knows the law? The Jews. Do you not know, brethren, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? Uh, let's go to the next slide. I want to talk to you about something called the plate of honor. This is important for the life of the Christian. Not only to speak the truth. You may know everything there is to know about the Bible. But you live in such a way that doesn't represent the gospel at all. Paul is not only saying what he means, he's meaning what he says. He's serving this correction in a parathetical question. Uh, he's trying to say, like, you obviously know this, friends, but I'm just going to share it with you anyway. In reality, he doesn't know if they know it. But he's not going to say, hey, stupid, let me tell you something you don't know about yourself. Which we laugh and kind of mock at. We have done it to the homeless. We have done it to the... Uh, to the uh, Mentally ill, we've done it to the criminally charged in our city. Let me tell you something you need to know about Jesus. Not only what you say, but how you say it. And the example of the plate of honor is like this. If I cook up a nice recipe, a steak and potatoes, and my wife loves asparagus, I put a little asparagus on the side, and I, and I, want, I want to cook you dinner, and I invite you over, and I have all this food ready, and I run outside, I grab my trash can lid out of the back porch, and I put the meat and all the potatoes and everything on it, and I hand it to you on a trash can lid. What I'm saying to you is good. What I'm serving to you is good, but how I am serving it destroys the whole thing. Consider not only what the Spirit would want you to say, but how He wants you to do it. To listen to the Lord and say, oh, I don't like this person, but I should just answer the call, and then treat them with short words and not be interested is not the way that I believe the Holy Spirit would want you to deal with that situation. Does that make sense? Serve not only good food, but serve it on the best china you have all the time. One of the greatest distinctions between the Christian and the rest of the world should be the level of honor that we display to watch this, everyone. You need to stop dishonoring our president. I disagree with a lot of it too. We need to stop that. He is the, he is the head of this land. And we need to honor that. Your parents, you're not too old to, to not honor your parents. Parents, your children. They get a little older, they get a little sassier, they think they know something about something. Correction is needed, but honor should never be removed, ever. Okay, uh, enough on, on that point. Uh, the plate of honor is an important concept on how this is done, and Paul gives a great example correcting these Jews, but serving it in a light and delicate way. Back to verse 1. He says, Do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to the law, or to those who know the law, the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Jurisdiction in this term literally means control over. Connection over. Not just authority, but it, it is controlling over. And it says the law is a he as long as he lives. The Jewish Christian would try to live according to the law, and would say to Paul that you are telling me that the law is evil. 
This is a misconception. This is what I wrote. Paul is trying to address the head, address this issue by seeking it and hitting the nail on the head by talking about the law directly, a subject by which he is an expert. He's setting the the Jew up. I understand your thinking. And then he uses this statement, as long as the person lives, which would bold the question, well, what happens if he dies? Verse 2. For the married woman is bound by the law to her husband. The he, we understand now, is the husband. While he is living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. This is where we get the phrase, as long as you both shall live. Do you know that in the, in the eyes of God that you are married to the person that you are bond to under the law of marriage as long as he or she lives? Now, I understand for some of us that have been lifelong partners married for years that when that person dies, there would be a, a need to say, I have no desire to get remarried, and I understand that. But it doesn't mean you are not allowed to get remarried. Now, as long as she's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning her husband. What law? Remember the recipe of the marriage? The man, the woman, and this is my picture for the day of the law. Overarching on both of them. If one dies, there is no longer anything to bind you to the law that you are now married to. That word bound literally means to bring together under the law of marriage. It's only used twice in the New Testament. Twice in the New Testament it doesn't mean to bind together like to tie up. You want to get like the old ball and chain analogy? <laughs> that's not the, that's not the concept here. It's it's literally a, a marital term. A term. Pardon me. Scripture isn't talking about divorce. However, this scripture is often used in regards to an understanding of divorce. So what I want to do for just a second is is spend a moment on divorce. For those of you that are maybe wondering or or concerned with or worried about, but I'm only going to spend a moment because this isn't really what the scripture is talking about. In Deuteronomy 24, Moses is dealing with a problem. Men are leaving their wives and doing whatever they want. The problem with this, why this is a problem, is divorce wasn't around at that point in time. So these women could not go remarry or marry another man and not be considered an adulteress under the eyes of the law. So now they're left kind of just hanging there, often to become destitute and poor, um, begging for the rest of their life, and in many ways becoming... Uh, uh, having their life being threatened because they cannot survive. This isn't because women aren't strong or aren't capable of anything else. It's because the simple task of surviving in that time, you have to remember, they're in the desert, was a difficult thing to do with people, let alone all by yourself. So this growing population of the homeless who could not help themselves was becoming an issue for Paul. So he says it's better to deliver a bill of divorce. He said it's better He did not say it is good because he he couldn't leave these women to just be alone forever. And remember, in that custom, men, uh, women could not divorce men. Moses said, it's better for you divorce, not good for you divorce, just better. In in, in, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 2, The Pharisees are dealing with Jesus on this very topic. You might want to turn there. The scripture says this. Some of the Pharisees came, tested him by asking, Is it lawful for man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted the man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus said, It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Jesus replied, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. This is the recipe. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, sarks, not spirit, flesh, so that they will no longer, uh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, there's the picture of the law. He does it. Let no one 
separate. Again, this scripture isn't talking about divorce. It's talking about what happens when, when your spouse dies. There's a difference. And so that's all I'm going to leave it to now. If you want to talk to me a little bit further, there's some scripture in Corinthians. It's very helpful as well in, 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 in a little bit farther down in Romans. If you want a clear understanding of the thought theology behind divorce. So, I don't know. There you go, if you were wondering. On to verse 3. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. This is a parallel to the example that he gives in chapter 6. Do you remember when he said that the slave is a good slave? If he's freed from one master, he can come to another. But if he just leaves a master and goes to the other, what is he? He's a poor slave. He's a sinner. He's wrong. He's deserving of his punishment. This is another point here that I want to bring uh, to light. It says, if her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband died, she is free from the law. Now, there's a lot of commentaries you're going to read out there that say that the law is dead. Paul, in some way, is saying that the law has died. Who died in this scenario? Not the law. The law still exists. It's just you are not subject to it anymore. Does that make sense? When you pass a speeding sign from a 55 to a 65, does that mean that you're free from the law back there? That the, there's no longer a speeding sign that says 55? No, it just means it doesn't, it doesn't matter for you because you are free from that law. In essence, you have moved on. Paul's love for the law... Uh, is, is really declared well in Romans 7, 14, as he deals with this a little farther. It says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Uh, and for what I am practicing, I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. He's still saying the law is very prevalent. It's a spiritual and good thing. And even though this law is good and I have, I have found a way through Christ to achieve the law, I still do this thing that is, that is a mess. We need to consider the law all the time. In verse 4, he explains, uh, therefore, my brethren, he explains this analogy. The therefore is therefore a reason. So therefore, let's read it. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Here's a picture of a marriage of a woman who is married to a man who she, has, she is embound to until he dies. When he dies, she is now free to bind herself in marriage to another. My brethren, you were also made to die of the law through the body of Christ that you might be joined to another. Now, wait a minute. This gets confusing. We're the one who died, and then we're the one who married. How is this possible? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe you could say it like this, that there was a man who was a horrible man. He was really mean to you, and you were brought into marriage at a, a, an age that you weren't ready for, and it was by force. And he kind of beat you and was brutal to you and awful to you. And eventually the law found out. And so uh, the law crucified this man on the cross, freeing you now that he is dead to go and receive something new that is Jesus. Does that make sense? Now the confusing part is that we were with Jesus. Let me give you this example here. This scripture is a synopsis of the gospel. This is, this is what makes this thing amazing and why I love to use this analogy. This is a synopsis of the gospel. Let me show you. First, Christ, the gospel is this. Christ came in the form of sinful flesh. John uh, 1.14. So the word became flesh uh, and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. That is, Jesus became flesh, became sarks, became the thing that is corrupted by sin, that is not sinful in itself. God created us in our own image. God became flesh. He didn't become sin. It said he put on sin. That, that sin has corrupted our flesh. Does that make sense? He became flesh and never was corrupted. That's why he is perfect. He died when Christ died, Romans 6, 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in the body ruled by sin. When Christ died on the cross, his sarks died, his flesh died. Guess what died too? Mine as well. That corrupted old sin was paid for on the cross. 
Uh, Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And it says this at the end of, uh, of uh, verse 4, in order that we might bear fruit for God. We have died to the old self, the old man that controlled our flesh in sin. We are now freed because we're no longer married to bind ourselves to the Spirit of God in acceptance to Him. And what He does not only bring us heaven someday, but He binds Himself to us now that we might bear the fruit of God. John uh, 15, 7 and 8 is one of my favorite verses. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, this is Jesus speaking, it is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Be careful who you marry. Be careful who you bind yourself to because what you produce, the fruit, the seed of that will have to do with what you're attached to. So I'm so grateful that my wife married me with all my mess ups and, and failings because she is, she's willing to let our, our son be part me. You get it. Anyway, <laughs> don't need to go through that any farther. Verse 5, we're going to go quickly here because we're running out of time. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our bodies. So now he's going to a further explanation of what this marital understanding was about. This should be affecting our heart. The flesh is sarks. Aroused by the law is an interesting phrase, isn't it? The sinful passions which were in our flesh, our, our physical being, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. Remember, Paul's statement is that the law is not evil, but it says that it's arousing, bringing forth, bringing up our sinful passions. And you really have to think about this concept to understand it, but it's pretty remarkable when you do. Suppose that I'm standing right here on solid ground. I'm not worried about falling. I should be okay. And, and, and let's just suppose that supernaturally for a second, the very edge of my toes, the ground fell out 500 feet. And all of a sudden I was on the edge of, of this cliff, so to speak. I'm still on solid ground, but now it is apparent that I can fall. And what happens when we, when, we, when we look off of the edge of a cliff? We always feel like we're falling. I tell people all the time, I'm not afraid of heights. I'm just afraid of falling. <laughs> you can put me up there, but like this whole thing, man, I'm not into that. Because I'm very aware of falling. Picture this, you're driving down the highway and I-25 and the, the troopers have done a wonderful job with this new invention that they park these troopers right on the side of the road where everybody can see them. When you see that trooper, you instantly become aware of the law refusing for you to speed. So what does everybody do? Off the gas, on the brake, check the speedometer. <laughs> Am I speeding? We, we weren't aware of it before, but now we are aware. What does it cause us to do? Fall. It, it brings forth, that word arousal, the law. The law has no ability, none, to keep you from sinning. It only exposes you when you are. What Paul is saying here is that the law is not bad. It's just not helpful to get us where we want to go. All it does is make you aware when you're on the wrong path, when you're doing the wrong thing. Does that make sense? We're at work in the members of our body. That members of our body literally means our physical body, our hands, feet, brain, eyes, ears, sexual organs, muscle tissue, our physical body. It corrupted our physical body. This, this awareness of the law led to imperfection, which led to sin, which led us to become sinners. Now, this doesn't happen over time. The Bible says that we were sinners in the womb. <laughs> we were born in a nature of sin. We are immediately corrupted because of the seed of sin we were born into. That's why Jesus needed to have an immaculate birth. Which leads us only to do what? Bear fruit of death. This is an interesting concept. I'm getting ready to have a son on September 5th. He is going to be a sinner. He is going to have a will that rejects God. I'm going to love him and squish his cheeks and I don't know what you do when you have a baby. I'm not quite sure of all what that is yet, but I'm going to do it to the fullest. And all the while, he will have rejected the God I've given my life to serve.
because he is born into a nature that can only bear fruit of death until he fully understands that in fact the thing that he is married to, his sin, the law uh, that binds him to sin, that sin was paid for on the cross, that it is now dead, and he is free through the grace of the Lord to choose something else to be bonded to. And Christ is the only way for that. Verse 6, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. That word bound is there used again. So that we, were, we would serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. That we have a new husband. And that we can serve in the newness of the Spirit. If you look up in uh, chapter 6, verse 2, he talks about the, the newness of life. A new life when we are resurrected in him. He's paralleling all of these scriptures together. This is a new thing, not the oldness of the law. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's like dead or not worthy. It just means that a better thing has come. That is the concept of old. When you say, I'm old, you are acknowledging that a better version of mankind is behind us. <laughs> they, are, they, are, they are better. I can, I'm 30 now. I turned 30 this week. I'm old. Because there are people that do stuff that I'm like, man, I, I'm just going to get us some lemonade. <laughs> you just keep working there because uh, I'm incapable of that. There is a newness to your life. And often we are living by the state of the law in the old way. We're stuck in our old things. I say to you that are doing that, and you need to hear me with the most sensitive of heart, you by definition are an adulterer. Because you've been married to this King Jesus. You've received a new spirit in one flesh. And now you have left that spirit to go and try and do the old thing again. You're sleeping with a corpse. Ooh. When we come to the reality of our sin, how much more likely are we to say, what are we doing I just can't wait for the day when my dad pulls that cigarette out of his mouth and he goes, this is stupid. I, what am I doing? And returns to this newness of life. I want to give an example here, if that's okay. Can I get Tony to come up here? And uh, Caleb and my wife, Lindsay. Can you guys just come up here real quick? I hope this helps you because I want to try and bring this thing home. Are we okay? Been, it seems like a Bible study today, but does it, helpful? does it help us? Can we make that comparison together? Can we continue to be praying? Because I hope this doesn't mess up. Okay, I need you to stand right there. I need you, Tony, to come stand over here. And my lovely wife, everybody say hi to my wife. Forget these men. She's the one that's important. Uh, say hi to Lindsay. And that's Bear uh, in the front there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a better way to say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. Okay. You're going to take this. And when I tell you to, you're just going to start to read these lies. Lindsay is, is married to me, but for the state of this example, she is going to be married for a second in the spirit to Caleb, who represents sin and the corrosion of our flesh. Okay? So, Lindsay, all I want you to do is come stand by him. Don't get any ideas. Come stand right here. And I, nice and loud, like you mean it. You're a young life leader, be passionate. Lindsay, I want you to shut your eyes and I want you to listen to what you hear. Go ahead, Caleb. God doesn't want to hear from you anymore. Not after you've ignored him for so long. This world is too wicked and scary for you to ever find happiness or peace. Because God loves you, your behavior ultimately doesn't matter all that much. Very good. That's good for right now. Okay, Lindsay, what did you hear? Did you hear anything else other than what Caleb was saying? No, not at all. See, when she's married, when she's bound to this old flesh, the only thing she can obey is what she hears. It's her master. She can try and deny it. She can agree with something else. But what she obeys is the sinfulness of her own self, the corrosion of her flesh, and the seed that she was born into. It's the only voice she can hear. Does that make sense? Now, when she becomes a Christian, hallelujah, and she gets saved, she is divorced from this death, which died on the cross, correct? So this is no longer alive, and she gets bound now to Christ. You, were, you get to play Jesus today, isn't that awesome? 
<laughs> she is bound to the spirit of Christ. And so now all she can hear is this. Nice and loud, Tony. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Very good. Yeah, well, we're going to keep going there. But, man, Ephesians chapter 1, if you haven't, just read it because it is the business. Okay, so now here's this life in Christ. Who in here in this room, this is all that you heard, right? There was no more lies that were coming in over the top. This is all that you heard. Who believes that this is like their, their actual life? That all I hear is the Spirit, and the only thing I hear is Jesus, and I've never had to concern myself with this old dead thing that I used to be bound to? Man, that is not me. I think for most of us, our life, though we are bound to Christ, sounds like this. I want you both to read as loud as you can. Try to see who can be louder. Compete each other. Say these things at the same time. Ready, set, go. If you can't gain the testimony about something right away, it must not be true. Confessing your sins will only... Amen. Okay, you guys can stop. <laughs> He's just gonna keep going. You're good, Tony. You're good. Go. <laughs> so the law, yeah, Jesus outlasts the. Amen. Uh, the law of marriage is now over these two. Correct. That we are bound to Christ, but we still hear the lies of our old self. Does that make sense? Now this is the important life for the Christian. This is not gonna go away until you kill it. Listen to me. It will never stop. You're never just going to outlive your sin and not do anything about it. The concept here is you must make it your slave now. You must subjugate itself to you. You must kill it off. Not wait for it to perish. You need to starve it. The only way these dueling voices that's like, man, I don't know whether I should pray for that person or not, or is that sin, or is, who lives that lifetimes at times? We go to the pastor like, what should I do with my life? Well, what do you mean? What's the Lord saying? I don't know. <laughs> Isn't it a scary thought that we can't tell the difference between the voice of the devil and the voice of the Lord himself? We have to be able to listen to a distinction. So, Lindsay, this is what I want you to do. I believe you have this power. Same thing's going to happen again. They're going to read the sounds at the same time, but I want you to drown out in your mind that sound and listen only to the sound of the Scripture. It's like she often does with me when the television's going. I'm blabbing and blabbing and blabbing on, and she's, like, locked in. Actually, that's probably me more than you. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Same thing's going to happen again. And, Lindsay, I want you to try and re just re get as much as you can of what Tony says. Ready, set, go. Amen, amen. Could you guys do it? <laughs> You're good. Could you drown out that other voice? Could you hear what the Lord says? You had to make a conscious choice, didn't you? At times you were drunk, no, but you have to come back. You have the, peer, the, the power because now of what you are bound to under the law of marriage in Christ Jesus to listen only to his voice. And when we listen only to his voice, the fruit that we produce is the fruit that is pleasing to him. You guys can sit down. Thanks a lot. Can you give him a round of applause? Let's bring up our worship. I want to say our worship team. Let's bring up our worshiper. And get ready for the offering here, because we gotta we gotta head out of Dodge. I hope that was helpful. I hope that that reaffirms in the Scripture what you knew already to to be true. But I think for some of us, whenever you guys are ready with the offering, you can just bring it right on up. I think for some of us, we've been adulterers. We've been married to this thing and so attracted to this voice that we've walked, we've walked back. Not only in the, in, the, in the realm of the Spirit of God, but in His Scripture, he, he often uses the example of an adulterer, of a harlot. In, in essence, if in an overarching way, the Lord has said this to the adulterer, 
Just come back home. It's all forgiven. Just come home. Go your way and sin no more. Listen to my voice and drown out the rest of the noise. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take up our offering. We're going to stand in worship, honor the Lord. But some of you need to, may need to come back here and come home. No one's going to mess with you. No one's going to ask you, well, what would you do? How have you been an adulterer? It's not our business. This Sunday morning is an opportunity for you to come home. For you to return from the ways where you've been an adulterer, where you've lacked trust, where you've listened to the voice of your old self that is no longer in control because the new man is who you are bound to. After the, the offering passes you by, if you need to come up here and pray and worship the Lord and take this adultery and, and, and just lay it down and come home, I want to offer you a welcome to do that. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the offering. Thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. Thank you for, for paying it all. Not only uh, on the cross, Lord, but that you would allow us, the sinner who is redeemed in you, to be bound to you. Lord, I pray that uh, when these uh, Romans read the scripture, that it was uh, made their, opened their eyes, was made a light to them, that they would understand and receive the word. And I pray that the same thing, a century-old discovery, uh, is happening here and now. That we would realize we can come home. We pray these things and believe these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand and worship? An old story says that the northern wind and the sun were having a debate as to who was stronger. And the wind saw a man walking across the field with a jacket on. And he said, I bet you I can make that, jacket, that man take that uh, jacket off before you do. And he said, okay, let's do it, the sun said. And so the northern wind blew and blew and blew and blew and blew, trying to blow the jacket right off the man's back, and the man just held the jacket to him tighter. And then the sun came, and he opened himself up, and he brightened up the day and made it much warmer, and the man took his jacket off and threw it over his shoulder. Our old self is trying to force us into submission of holiness. It's trying to blow us into do the right things. Some of us get to this position where we are on, we are warriors for Jesus and we're going to do anything that is necessary. And then we just hold, we rebel against our own selves, don't we? See, the way of the Lord is much easier than that. It's letting Him shine through you, not only to affect the rest of the world, but so that old self in you would burn away. If you haven't made a decision for the Lord, it's not... You don't have to beat yourself into submission. You don't have to blow the jacket off of your back. You just have to let what God is doing in your life be trusted by you. And you just say in your heart, I'm trusting, I'm putting my trust now into you. Regardless of my situation, regardless of the day. And let Him open up and affect your life. I pray that that happens for many of you in the room. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. But I pray as you walk out of this room today, the, Lord, the face of the Lord would shine on you in such a way that you would take that jacket of sin off that old man and you'd put it to death once again. You'd crucify it again. And that you'd let the light of the Lord shine not only on you, but in you and through you. We can do these things and say these things and see these songs because of the Lord Jesus himself. I pray that we would never forget that. We're going to continue to sing and worship. If you need more prayer, you're welcome to come up here and have it. If you need to go, we understand as well. Have a blessed week. Thanks so much.